When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Everyday grab-and-go, everyday giftable, everyday fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. All right, it's Film Study with Ken McCusick. Week 12, we're going to look back at the Ravens' victory, 1734 over the Raiders. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing good. Uh, it was a fun game yesterday. Um, fun for both to see Lamar try some different stuff with the uh, passing game, but just fun to see the defense play well. Um, is it fair for me to get excited for this team, or do I need to look and say, wait a second, it's the Raiders, it's the Bengals, uh, these are bad teams? Where, how do I? How do we as a Raven fan handle this? I, I think there's enough restraint about excitement in this town to go around for everybody. I don't think you need to add anything to that pile. Uh, so many negative people. I mean, I, I see so little positive said about this team, despite the fact that they're six and five. And there's all kinds of things to look at that would tell you this is a, a a pretty damn good football team. Yet people seem to still be stuck on the fact that it's not. Some of it's in the Lamar and Flacco stuff. In the, if, if you like either quarterback, if the other quarterback is in, the team can't be good. So you start with that, and half the fans are already out. Or, or you know, Right, or you want yeah. the team to do bad so that Lamar gets all the starts. 
There, there you go. Or, or yeah, you want the team to be bad so Lamar gets all the stats. If, if Flacco's in there, if if Flack, if Lamar's already in there, the Flacco people say they can't possibly win the rest of the season with Lamar. If the, you know Lamar's already in there, they say, well, thank goodness we don't have Flacco right now. But if they were to put Flacco back in, this team would suck again, kind of thing. So yeah, uh, it's just it's just ridiculous the amount of negativity about the about the team right now. Um, they remain near the top. In, in most defensive categories, other than takeaways, we're going to get to that a little bit later. But if you just look across, I mean, they're one, two, three, four, and a lot of things. Right. Uh, I, I don't know how you're negative in this. The most important stat is points per game allowed, and they're the best in that. They're still tops. Uh, they're in the top five in third down percentage. Uh, if you look at what they have, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit later too, they really have an outstanding set of cornerbacks still available, which is which is rare this late in the season to have that. Um, they really haven't been blown out. The game against Carolina was the worst, a 15-point loss. And if you look at the, at, at even the good teams in the league, they most of them have have lost a game big. So uh, you know the Ravens have not uh, been embarrassed really badly. Um, you know they have a kicker who's headed for the Hall of Fame and has now made 100 consecutive field goals from 57 or fewer yards that have not been blocked. And I have never heard any kind of triple-digit field goal streak referred to ever you hear it for the extra, extra points right. but not with field goals yeah, so that's crazy it is unbelievable and he, he has had six misses during the time four blocks 58 wide right 62 short but 100 out of 106 if you're in the backyard trying to kick it over the soccer net is not bad so you're really that's really a special occurrence and and is something that we we really need to look at there's no kicker in nfl history who has made 100 out of 106 as a career percentage of field goals. Obviously, Tucker is number one in that category as well. You know, if you're looking for other things to like, how about the offensive identity? Are you excited about that, Josh? Well, <laughs> the offensive identity, I think that's that's outside of the offensive line. I feel like we don't have an identity. Well, I mean, well tell I, me about the offensive identity because I look at this team and I say, okay, we don't know who the quarterback is. We don't know who the running back is. Our wide receivers, uh, it's a different guy each week who's, who's leading in the wide receivers. What's the identity of this offense? Well, I think that the identity they found the last two weeks is that Edwards is a tremendous complement for Jackson in terms of having a inside power runner paired with a find-the-edge right. quarterback. And I mean, that, that's been exciting. And that is, and that's exciting. But if Joe starts in Atlanta, what does that mean for Gus? Don't tell me you're in the Joe category here. Don't tell me you're in the you're, you're in the negative Joe category. <laughs> okay. Anyway. No, no, no. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to figure out the identity. I think that sure. this week and this quarterback controversy is like a goldmine for talk radio. Oh, it will be that. So, so okay. we ought to get to some of that on the offensive episode. There's probably some questions about it today. I'm guessing in yeah. our mailbag, which we'll probably get to. But you know, Jackson, it may be well be that Flacco is not the good match for Edwards. That Collins is really the better match for Flacco. Certainly was the case last year. Collins, once he showed up, the Ravens' offense was very effective. Flacco had a had a fine season down the stretch, and Collins was a hell of a player. So maybe maybe he's the guy. There, you know, he's hurt. Who knows when when he'll be back? But uh, but could well be he's the guy. Right. Um, but I I think there I think the offensive line healthy is a big and exciting part of the as uh, this identity. Yeah, I mean that's I think the offensive line. In fact, if you look at it, they are more than the sum of their parts. They're, they're individually, they're they're not the super exciting group. If you want to look for the star, Ronnie Stanley, Marshall Yanda, they're I guess they're stars. Orlando Brown's an exciting younger player, but almost nobody in this town is excited about the Ravens' left guard and center situation. Right. Uh, and and 
you know, they're they're not playing badly right now and within the framework of what the Ravens are doing. So uh, I, I think there's a lot to be excited there. I, I think, you know, they're, they're well-paired skill position players. I won't say that they're an exceptional group in any way, shape, or form if you look across the board. I think it is just another set of veteran wide receiver guys who are going to be gone. I got a, a little bit of feeling down about the, from John Brown's alligator arms by the goal line yesterday. He, he really shortened up his arms. They, James Lofton really got after him without really saying it directly on the on the broadcast, which I thought was interesting. Right. The receiver, receiver is going after him. Yeah, and of course the most exciting thing to be excited about is we are 6-5, and five, the Bengals season is over, yeah. and we've got a little bit of control with this wild card. Yeah, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this by now, because you'll be listening to it sometime tomorrow, probably knows, because it'll have been at least 24 hours, probably went before since it's occurred, that Andy Dalton is out for the season on IR now. That certainly ends the Bengals' season. They pick up Tom Savage, who was with the Texans. He may start, he may not. Uh, Driscoll, who's been on the bench for them for a while. There are some people who, who have wanted to see him play, and he appears like he'll get a chance uh, in the coming weeks. But I think if I would be very surprised if the Bengals are able to win two games down the stretch. Let's put it that way. So I get it. That's some stuff to be excited. But the, all right, here's the other thing I'm hearing in town is that there's no one great on this team. I just finished recording Section 336, and Burt was bringing up, well, there's no stars on this team. There's no uh, – he compare, he tried to compare it to the 2012 teams, the 20, uh, 2000 Raven teams and these defenses because you've got Suggs, but you've got old man Suggs. You don't have mm-hmm. uh, Sizzle and Reed and Ray Lewis and – Okay, well, I, I guess I'd start, I'd start by telling Bert that Suggs had a two-sack year in 2012 as one of the worst of his career because he had an off-season basketball Achilles injury. Oh, that's and, right. That and, was that and, year. So, so that's probably not the good thing. In fact, the 2012 team was the worst of those five years for the Ravens from 08 to 12, and they still managed to win the Super Bowl. The 2009 team, which had the worst record, 9-7, and seven, was, for my money, the best of that group. You could say it's the 2008 team as well. Either one of those I would I would – go along with but I look at that at the 12 team and I think on offense and on defense you had Ray at the end of his career and he he was he had the injury of course and played terribly that year right you had Ed Reed who was at the end of the line and was not quite the Ed Reed of previous years even though he didn't have a bad year in 2012 had a pick in the Super Bowl etc you didn't you certainly didn't have the Ed Reed of his prime there the Ravens let him go at the end of the year and they were proven very right in not retaining him so let's see if I can get that fixed here. All right. So in any case, the, beyond that, if you look at the offensive line, well, there, there are some stars. You had Yanda in his prime. You had Matt Burke still in, playing pretty well. But the notion that Anquan Bolden was a star, uh-uh. The notion that, I don't know, Pitta or somebody else, as far as a skill position was player as a star, no. Ray Rice uh, did get re-signed, but 2012 was really his last good year. So, uh, you know, it was, it was a team that was aging out of their opportunity to compete. And, you know, the, the Flacco contract did him in for good at the end of the year. They had to let some, some other important parts go that, uh, you know, were, were, were tough to lose, but they, it was time. And it, it was a team, honestly, that probably really needed a rebuild at that time. I, I'm just, I don't right. really see it. I don't see that they were so stocked up with great players and they made a Super Bowl run. They basically made a Super Bowl run on the back of Joe Flacco and his ability to not throw interceptions and throw 11 touchdowns in the playoffs. Right. I mean, they had there were household names on that team with Suggs and Lewis and Nada and Flacco. Um, 
and Reed, but you're right. Then and that's where I keep looking at this team. And this year, this team reminds me a lot of that 2012 team, where they seemed like they were good some days and bad other days. They seemed pretty average, but they got hot at the end. Right, and I think that could still happen with this team. For for one thing, I mean the, the turnover situation. We're going to talk about that a little later, but that that could reverse itself. The, night, the thing that's exciting about this team is the defense is filled with young players and they're still, by and large, healthy at this time of year, which is, which is really good. And it's a, it's a lot of young players who could quickly step up into important roles as they're forced into them the rest of the year. So they're, they're going to have to try and contend. They're going to have to try and win one of three big games on the road at a minimum to get into the playoffs. Uh, if they're able to do that, they've, they've got a reasonable chance to get there, and then they get to win more road games because that's what they'll be playing in the playoffs. So you're saying one of, so you're saying three big road games. So you're counting this Atlanta game as a big I'm road counting, game. I'm I certainly am because it's the one they have to win really to, to make it happen because the Chiefs and the Chargers may be much lower chances. Let's right. put it that way. Okay, gotcha. All right, well, let's dig into that's kind of broad picture, kind of setting the tone for where we're at. Let's dig into this defense as we do every uh, Monday night. And uh, let's look first at the packages. We've talked a lot this season about the different packages that uh, the Ravens have been running. Okay, so uh, honestly, a very vanilla set of packages against the Raiders. I don't think it was a matter of necessarily having a specific package they wanted to play, with the exception of how they wanted to handle the pass rush. The packages, they played base nickel on 32 snaps, so a lot of three receiver sets. That's what the Raiders like to run at. So they're looking to play a single single back, single tight end set to try and run against the nickel. Uh, They also obviously don't mind passing against the nickel. They may have also looked at the fact that Tavon Young was inactive for the game and decided they wanted to go heavy on those sets because it means that they could match up against Brandon Carr in the slot. And that's as much as I appreciate Carr's versatility moving inside and the good year he's had on the outside, I think that's certainly a downgrade at inside corner to have Carr replacing Tavon Young. All right. Uh, Do you think they went simple just because they're kind of looking past, we're looking past that game? You know, if it was anything else, I would say it'd be they didn't really know as much about the Ravens personnel, sorry, the Raiders personnel as they did about other teams. They've got a bunch of wide receivers that are that are all young. You know, they're taking playing time that was held by people like Amari Cooper earlier in the season before he got traded. Uh, They have some wide receivers who weren't even in the program who got key targets in this game. Uh, But they're just, you know, I don't know that anybody knows who they are. So they, they probably have a little something on them. They did know that the, the tight ends were going to be a, a difficulty in, in dealing with this team. So they, they, they tried to scheme maybe a couple different ways to do that. Uh, they played a little bit of, of uh, dime with four corners during this game, which is a little bit different than normal. So they put Anthony Averett in the game. They moved him on the outside, and then they had effectively an additional inside, sorry, an additional outside corner playing at safety with Jefferson moving up early to play Levine's normal role in the box. So uh, an odd situation, but one that may have been driven by their desire to cover the tight end effectively and giving Jefferson an opportunity to do that from the inside. So uh, that's about the craziest they got with their packages. The dime in particular, very effective in this game, 13 snaps of dime. That included all three of the sacks, included obviously their only turnover as well because that was on a sack. They went two of nine, converting third downs or third or fourth downs against the dime, and they only gained uh, 2.8 yards per play against the Ravens' dime. So 
Very effective job that the Ravens again did with the dime. Most of that was Levine, but not all of it. They had Jefferson in as a dime for uh, a couple of snaps early. Cool. Then I got one more theory about the simple defense. Is it because of the banged up secondary? Because you were seeing them even put any guy back there. Chuck Clark got a bunch of playing time. You saw Cyrus Jones get a little playing time. Yeah, that's, I, I look at that as an incredible positive. The way the Ravens were able to adapt in the secondary. And, I, you know, if I look back at the, all the Ravens seasons of my lifetime, and that's, that's all of them. But I, I forgave the Ravens for their early bad play just because I was so happy to have football back in town. I hadn't, I hadn't developed expectations yet of winning. When the 99 team came along, that changed everything. The defense was, was rose to an elite level. Uh, you know, they, they finished eight and eight. We still had hopes of making the playoffs uh, until they got dashed in the next to last week. Uh, but anyway, I, I, then expectations developed. 2000 came along, and I, I thought they were definitely a contender, certainly to make the playoffs and probably to, to, to win a game, although I hadn't really thought that far ahead. And they ended up being the 2000 Ravens, the 2000 Ravens defense, which was incredibly fun to watch, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, since then, I've had expectations. And the team that has frustrated me most from those expectations isn't one from the 2013 to 17 era, as it would be for many people. It's the, it's the 2007 Ravens after that 2006 season coming back and losing every defensive backfield member they had. I, 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 there's a scene from Gone with the Wind known as the Street of Dying Men, where the camera slowly pulls back from the middle of the street. And there's just all these bodies. And some of them are getting treatment or not. And the, the leading character is, is looking through Vivian Lee is looking through the street to, to to find somebody she's looking for, and you know you just realize the enormity of all the casualties they're dealing with and and uh, and whatnot. And that's what I think of when I think of the Ravens secondary of 2007 is everyone getting hurt and going down, and there being nobody left to fill in. Them having to go to the street and get Willie Gaston to play two games at the end of the year, and you know just some players who you'd never expect to to, to get time. All right, so jumping forward to 2018, the Ravens have a normity of depth in the secondary. They have three corners who could start for most teams. Jimmy Smith, obviously Brandon Carr, and Marlon Humphrey. And they can't even figure out how to choose amongst them. They have to, they have to rotate them still. And they're doing it even with their starting slot corner, Tavon Young, who's not in any danger of losing his job, uh, out with an injury that hopefully is, is temporary. So they're able to, to shift around, still find snaps for Anthony Averett, who's an outstanding young player, a rookie who looks like he has real promise, had a big PD in this game that didn't get credit in the game book, but was still a PD. Uh, you know, they just had a, a lot of talent on backup. They did not even use Maurice Kennedy, who would played a lot of slot corner for the Ravens in the second half last year, played very well, uh, had moved to the outside during the preseason this year before he got hurt. And uh, he he would have figured to get playing time immediately, but somehow they kept him without a defensive snap. He only played special teams in this game. That amount of depth is something you will not find league-wide. So I think most teams would want Jimmy Smith. The Ravens, obviously, Ravens fans have kind of had enough of what's going on. Some of it's some past activities. Some of it is poor coverage this year. But, you know, a pretty good chance he'll be gone after this year. But for this stretch drive, he's an above-average cornerback. For the league right now, a lot of teams would love to have him. A lot of contending teams would love to have him right now. So, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I was just uh, agreeing with you. There, there are a lot of teams with uh, out secondary depth and with starting guys out on the field who aren't up to Jimmy Smith's level. To have a guy like that who's above average is huge. 
Yeah, it, it really is. And and if you look at the Steelers and some of the other teams who are good but still have problems stopping the pass, uh, you know, they really wish it. The same thing goes in the secondary, too. Obviously, Jefferson went down in this game. That'd be a major injury for any team. Whatever you think of Jefferson, he really is a pretty damn good player. And replacing him with Chuck Clark was not terrible. I mean, Chuck Clark had a pretty good game. He did allow the touchdown pass to Cook, but I thought he otherwise played very well in the game and, uh, you know, made, made a couple good tackles, a couple good plays in, in coverage. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a solid game and, and particularly solid as a replacement. He can play three positions for you. You can play free safety, strong safety, and dime. You can also play big nickel. Very versatile player. Levine, I, he might have been hurt at the start of the game because of the move to have Jefferson play some dime snaps. A lot of versatility exists there. So I, I think the Ravens have the, the horses to get by in the secondary for as long as they can maintain playing. And a lot of what you need during the postseason is the ability to rush for, drop to cover, and do the best you can against some very good quarterbacks. So that's where the Ravens' secondary depth, I, I hope, is really going to help. All right, so those those very good quarterbacks that are coming up. Um, let's talk a little bit about the pass rush and how we did against the Raiders. Well, you know, nice to finally get back on the board with three additional sacks. Uh, all came from Matt Judon in a three-play sequence. That was quite entertaining, obviously. First first starting with the forced fumble recovered by Suggs, but then the t- two additional sacks and the run down the tunnel and all that entailed. Kind of sad he didn't get on the field for that fourth consecutive snap because right. uh, NFL research has come through and they've said since the beginning of counting sacks in 1982, only once previously had an NFL player had sacks on three consecutive defensive snaps. And that was a guy named Schioli who had 15 lifetime sacks for the Indianapolis Colts and did it against David Carr in 2002. So the Texans in their very first season of existence allowed some mammoth number of sacks and David Carr uh, took the brunt of those. And in that game, uh, he was sacked three straight times. And that's the last time it's happened. And you think about how many games have passed since then, you realize uh, it's thousands. Uh, even since 2006, when I had it figured, it was about 3,000 games. You go you go back to 2002, you can add about another 1,000 on top of that. So it's been maybe 4,000 games since it last happened, and I, don't, I, I would not even know how many games, could be 10,000, uh, since the beginning of them counting sacks, right. where it's only had two occurrences. So it is a very rare occurrence. And it's yeah. sad that Judon couldn't be on the field for third well, down. Well, he, he wore himself out running out of the stadium. There you go. So, but it was fun. It was fun to see the excitement in a, in a guy like Judon as he just ran off the field. Yeah, yeah. I, I I've never seen the view out of that tunnel that you 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 can see a you know a, a green thing. It's a kind of a cool shot they had at uh, at field level. Right. But that said, I wish he was on the field. If you look at the pass rush itself and what they did, they were unexceptional, very vanilla for the whole game. They they got they allowed ample time and space on seventeen of thirty seven dropbacks. That's forty six percent, very normal kind of a percentage. Uh, when you break that down and you realize how many of those are ball out quick, you realize they really only generated pressure on 13 pass plays. So that's really not that much. Martindale dialed back all elements of deception. Uh, you know, Carr obviously is a veteran gunslinger, gets rid of the ball as quickly as any quarterback. In fact, he had the, two years ago, I believe it was, he had the shortest time to pass of any NFL quarterback. And that's not 
protection. That's the shortest average time from snap until he passes the ball. So it's it combines things like what quarterbacks do a lot of hot reads and also which quarterbacks may be under immediate pressure and are forced to get rid of the ball. But it's it's more about how much their offense revolves around hot reads, I I, I look at it as. So a quarterback like that who's, who's good at making the reads, you certainly don't want to put extra pressure on them. You want to try and allow them to drop back, play as, as effectively in coverage as you can. And they did a great job of it. And when it turned out, when it when ended up push coming to shove, they got the four-man pass rush working and got three sacks there by Judon all in a row on the four-man rush. Deceptive elements, I mentioned I was going to say eight, eight blitzes from off the line of scrimmage, very low if you've been listening to this show all year. Uh, only three stunts and seven times they dropped two men from the line of scrimmage. Very low totals for everything, honestly, uh, in terms of deceptive elements. All right, we're about to play some tougher teams, tougher quarterbacks. How do we improve the pass rush? Well, that's the real question is, is do they have anybody on the roster currently? Because you can't, unless you can manufacture the guy right now, you can't otherwise figure out how to get that, get him. Uh, trade deadline is passed. There aren't any street guys who are any good, obviously. But I think there are two players on the team that they could use schematically differently. One of them, they need to hope recovers from injury, and that's Tim Williams. He's in this loop of limited participation right now. He just can't seem to get back at full participation in practice. When he's healthy, he could be the rested pass rusher they bring on as a specialist, and he's a quick-twitch guy, number of different moves, and can generate that, that fast pressure the Ravens need to get the quarterback moved off the spot and, and uh, effectively uh, handled. If all they could do for Tim Williams was guarantee me that he could be back for the playoffs right now, I'd take it. You know, I'd take, our chances, take the chances on the Ravens making it to the playoffs without him, and then you have him for the playoffs, and, and he'd be a big X factor, I think, uh, when, when that would occur. Gotcha. The, uh, the other guy that I really like as a pass rusher right now is Michael Pierce. I am just seeing bull rush after bull rush from that guy and a, an ability to uh, swim through um, that is impressive. And a man like that's very hard to block and usually can command double teams inside. So one of two things is going to happen. He can either get that one-on-one -on -one matchup he wants, get the bull rush effectively, get that quarterback off the spot where other help can arrive. Or number two is a possibility is he can take a double and then you've got three one-on-one -on -one matchups across the board with your other guys. And, and you have some good pass rushers there with Judon and uh, Zedaria Smith and Suggs, who ought to be able to win some of those one-on-one -on -one matchups that are created and get the quarterback off the spot, once again, a little bit faster than they've been doing. All right. Um, the other thing that changed on Sunday is we saw a Terrell Suggs uh, turnover and touchdown. It's been, uh, what, 10 years since he did that last, but it's also a big, like, we haven't gotten turnovers in a while. There, there you go. So there's only been last – let's talk about the Suggs thing first because I really want to address that. It's the, the fact that he picked up the ball was so cool. The way he evaded that one wide receiver who's much faster than him, obviously, Aitman, uh, who, if you're, a, by the way, if you're a Raiders fan, Aitman was involved in like every failed third down conversion of the game. He had three of 10 targets caught. You got to really look at him as one of the goats. I'm not sure there's any Ra Raiders fan who cares that much at this point uh, in, in the season, but uh, he had a tough game and, and a very futile attempt to kind of paw at Suggs and and uh, allowed him to get into the end zone there on the outside. Um, it's just great to see him pick up the ball. When I was a kid, one of the first games I listened to on radio 
was the game where Johnny Unitas threw his last touchdown pass. And at the time, I did not have a sense of the the um, significance of that event. So he came in as the third-string quarterback, replaced Marty Domres, who got hurt uh, during the game, came in, came in and uh, threw a touchdown pass. It was about a five-yard pass to Eddie Hinton, who then weaved through all sorts of traffic for another 60 or so for the uh, the score against Buffalo. And that that is talked about with such reverence among the Colts who were there. It's it's remarkable. And I, I, maybe someday we'll appreciate this event in the same way for Suggs, you know, that we got to see right. Suggs. I've had him dead and buried, you know, several times, obviously, over the last couple of years while we've been doing the show. But, uh, but you know, there's a good chance that this is the last touch, last time we'll ever see him get in the end zone. And it was fun to have all those Ed Reed memories, the way he was waving that ball around, looking for the yes. lateral when he first picked it up. <laughs> It was fun. We haven't seen that, and that always made everything fun. It always made – I just remember yelling at the TV for Ed Reed, sometimes wanting him to lateral it, most of the time asking him to hold on to that ball. So it was, it was fun. Everybody has those memories about, no, 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 yes. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's a lot of no's and then go. It was a, it was a fast break defense, and that was, right. that was a lot of fun to watch. Anyway. Uh, but uh, is this true that our last turnover was a interception in the first quarter against the Browns? That's true. So it's been 420 minutes because they played that overtime wow. against the Browns, of course, too, since, right. they've, since they've had a turnover. Seven full games. And during that time, the opponents have intercepted the Ravens seven times. And that's among 35 passes defense. Remember, interceptions are a subset of passes defense. So you you're, yep. you always always get one. So they they've had about a 20% conversion ratio or a 5 to 1 if you want to look at it from the other way, but either way that's that's about league average for what's happened that way. Meanwhile, the Ravens during that seven game stretch haven't been terrible. They've had 28 passes defense and 21 in the last three games alone, and they have zero for 28 in terms of interceptions on there. And they are just missing opportunity after opportunity for tip drill picks where you watch the Raiders get two, you know, tip drill picks. One of them, which was a, you know, a brilliant ballet of a, of a tip drill pick down in the end zone. But the other one was in the middle of the field. And you think, well, why haven't the Ravens got some of these? And, you know, to make matters worse, one of the Ravens passes defense was called back as a pass defense because it went into the hands of the Carolina running back McCaffrey for a touchdown. Right. So, you know, it's, it's just been, it's been an ugly stretch of not converting those. Now, here's what I'll say. It's not all skill. The Ravens are getting a lot of passes defense. In fact, they're fourth or fifth in the league in passes defense. They're not getting interceptions, and some of that is just bad luck. I'm not saying it's all just bad luck. I'm saying some of it is. And if when they regress to a more normal conversion rate on those, this defense is going to be substantially better. It'd be exponentially better, in my opinion, because it's going to turn around a lot of drives. It's going to create scoring opportunities for the offense. It's going to be a lot of a lot of opportunities in both directions that get created. Right, and that's one of those things where you're like, maybe this is maybe this can click. Maybe they can figure this out because it's it's strange that they're so high on pass defense but not pulling the ball in. Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly right. I mean they're still allowed a low quarterback rating for the entire year. They still are first in points allowed, despite you know effectively playing with this enormous ball and chain of no turnovers for all this time. They've held good offenses to low scores these last few weeks. Carolina being the big exception, but you know giving only twenty point points to Pittsburgh is not terrible. Twenty four points to the Saints is not terrible. I mean, all of these things are well below these teams' averages of points scored. So. 
Anyway, I think there is still a chance the defense will turn it around and improve their level of play. And some of it will just be some luck, and some of it will be figuring out how do they improve the pass rush with some players. And uh, I think if I had to pick one thing that I don't think is really off right now, I don't think the Ravens are too far off in terms of scheme. I think that they'll, they'll pretty much stay with the same scheme and, and a, a measured approach to how they rush the quarterback. So that's the point in which I don't think you can look to Martindale and say, well, he's got some rabbit still to pull out of his hat in terms of scheme. Right. That's on the defensive side. Offensive side, I think they're still figuring some things out. Oh, yeah. No, I agree with that. Um, all right. Let's look at some players. And I wanted to start with Brandon Carr. Not Derek Carr, but Brandon Carr. Yeah, there you go. So all the cars here with David Carr also getting mentioned on the show. A lot to, lot to keep track of. Anyway, Carr uh, did some good things, did some bad things in this game. He surrendered that 44-yard completion to Roberts. Uh, that was unfortunate. Um, but otherwise, he had, he had positive coverage notes. He had a quarterback hit in the game. Uh, he had a coverage switch where he switched late to follow Aitman on the play. Now, Aitman got overthrown on a 35-yard pass that I think a lot of people would say would have been a touchdown if he'd caught it. Well, it wouldn't have been a touchdown if he caught it because Carr would have probably run him down. And that's what made that late coverage switch so good is that I'm not sure whose responsibility it obviously was, but he moved directly to that, and he would have probably prevented the TD if Aitman had caught the ball. So from that perspective, I thought it was good coverage, even though he was he was behind on the play and, and was beaten. So something to look at that's positive and an otherwise kind of just okay day. Carr has been the Ravens' most consistent quarter, cornerback the whole year. Uh, he's been the guy that, that, that basically has been been solid. Obviously, he hasn't been as great at his highs as Humphrey's been, but uh, he, you know, he's been pretty darn good and pretty durable and on the field for uh, for these games as they've gone. All right. Well, you're already setting up the comparison to Humphrey, and uh, for the listeners at home, I am focusing today on for individual players on the secondary because I really thought that was the storyline. This week was uh, how many guys were in and out and being used well. Let's jump over to Marlon Humphrey since you were comparing to him. All right. Well, Humphrey, outstanding day in this game. I mean, just outstanding game. Uh, he had full contributions to four separate third down stops. So two of them were passes defense. And Humphrey, we've what we've seen from him earlier is a lot of a, a right hand that's an absolute club getting the ball out from between the hands of the defender. I'm just he's, he's a very powerful cornerback who, who delivers quite a blow with the right hand to, to get the ball loose. Um, what we saw in this game was him getting his hand on the football and knocking it down before it got to the receiver. So that was two of them. Uh, another play, he had good coverage. The ball was overthrown. And, and in a fourth play, um, he was positioned to make the tackle short of the sticks along with Matthew Judon, but the ball came in low and was incomplete that way. So four plays on third down that stopped it. The fourth one was the third and eight. Uh, another throw to Aitman, by the way, who was on the receiving end of everything in this game. But uh, that ball came in late. That set up the fourth and eight where the where the sack fumble occurred, and uh, and we had the moment for Suggs. So great game from Humphrey. Just uh, nothing really bad to say about it. A lot of three catches for 19 yards in the game. All right. Uh, let's get to the above average Jimmy Smith. So Jimmy Smith, um, he drew an offensive pass interference in this game, which was really nice. That negated a 34-yard completion. Um, he did allow an 11-yard conversion to Aitman when he slipped. And he, if he hadn't have slipped, he probably wouldn't have been in position to make the tackle short of the sticks. So that was one you know, missed opportunity. A 40-yard bomb down the middle of the field for Holton between the hashes in Q4 
was a ball that he got up for and prevented the catch, or would have prevented the catch, but Holton actually deflected the ball and it went to the ground. And, and, and Jimmy, I don't remember if he was credited with a, a pass defense on that play or not, but it was a good defensive play where he was positioned there. Uh, unfortunately, he lost the interception opportunity because it got tipped by Holton on the way down. All right. Uh, Chuck Clark seemed to make the most of his opportunities. Yeah, so sure did. I mean, going in, got, you got 26 snaps, which I believe is his it's his season high, but I think it might be his career high as well because he only had about 50 snaps last year. So unless there was one game where he really loaded up, and I can't remember what that was, then this was it. So uh, it, he got his first really extended playing time on the back end, uh, played I think it was most of the second half. They only had 50. Yeah, it had to be because they only had 17 snaps in the second half. Uh, so, you know, replacing Jefferson, obviously Jefferson would be a huge loss for this team. He's one of the, you know, the, the cornerstone defenders, not only that they're paying, but it's actually good. I know a lot of people won't like that, but uh, he, he provides a lot of value, a lot of ability to back up those linebackers in the run game uh, and make plays. But I thought Chuck Clark looked really good. He, he went in, he played well, and uh, I don't think the Ravens suffered terribly for not having Jefferson. All right. Um... All right, Marlon, uh, we already did Marlon Humphrey, so let's uh, let's just go with Anthony Averett. Okay, so Anthony Averett getting his first playing time in, in, in some time, but he went in there, he had seven snaps, and the Raiders gained a total of minus eight yards on those plays, so from that perspective, certainly was a, was a hell of a game. He had a very nice drive-ending pass defense uh, early in quarter two, so it went uncredited in the game book, but he dislodged the football, and then he sent eight men to the chalk. It was that guy again pushed him onto the chalk, and he wasn't able to maintain possession all the way to the ground. So it uh, should have been a pass defense. I actually sent, sent something to the Ravens asking him if they wanted to go after Elias for this one, but we'll see if they do. All right. Uh, let's get to the MVPs. So this is where you pick three guys that are really good, and then I just give some stars to some other guys that contributed well as, as well. All right. Very good. So my number three guy is Matthew, Michael Pierce. I'm sorry. And we have not talked about him in this episode, but Michael Pierce is having one hell of a season. This game, he had only one tackle. So he kind of gets ignored again in the stat sheet, the way things have, things have gone. But the Ravens this year are allowing far less yards per play with Michael Pierce on the field with an out. Just give you the, give you the totals here. Yards per rush, they're 3.7 with Pierce. They're 4.2 without Pierce. Well, you, you, a guy like that as a run defender, you might expect that, but then you'd be sacrificing something on the passing end. Not so much. Yards per pass, 4.6 with Pierce, 6.0 without Pierce. So 1.4 yards per pass wow. uh, more without Pierce. So he's played you know, roughly half the snaps, so it's a, a little bit less than half the snaps, I should say. So it's not like there's a, there's a small sample size in either case of there's not that many with, with Pierce snaps, so there's not that, that many without Pierce snaps. I don't think there's anything systemically that's that different because they've tried to keep either Williams or Pierce on the field. I think it's a matter of Pierce is really playing exceptionally across the board, and the Ravens need to try and figure out what's the best way to utilize him, whether it's as an inside pass rusher or whether they want to emphasize his run role. But anyway, I, he is a player that I would consider for a more specific inside pass rusher role if they wanted to go that way because I think it's more important. Anyway, he might, he's my number three guy. All right, uh, my number three is Chuck Clark because the amount of time he spent on the field, I didn't expect, and he did a uh, perfectly fine job uh, with the 26 snaps. Loving it. Loving it. Okay. My number two guy, Marlon Humphrey, I think I just gave you all the reasons. Uh, really, it was a question whether he'd be number two or number one, but uh, what he did in this game was really special. Kind of reminds me of Levine's game at Pittsburgh earlier in the year. 
Uh, my number two, I never know where to put special teams, but this was a punt return, so I'm putting it on the defensive side and going with Cyrus Jones uh, for, again, giving a little excitement and spark to this team. Local boy, that was a really blo- well-blocked-up play, too, so props to Chris Moore for the excellent block along the sideline, and big props to Matthew Judon, which was one of the deciding factors, I think, for me, but for taking the punter out of the play. Punter normally wouldn't be a big chance to make the tackle, but he's right on the sideline now. He had him lined up to knock him out of bounds, and uh, and that would have spoiled the fun. So uh, fine play by, by uh, Matthew Judon, who is my number one guy. The three straight sacks, uh, just a terrific experience. I wish he'd been on the field and had a chance at the fourth. Uh, looked like he could have gotten that uh, that uh, left tackle, sorry, that right tackle to deal cards for him if he wanted to. But uh, anyway, he he decided to run up the tunnel and said maybe he lost count of the downs. Whatever the case, uh, uh, sad that he missed it. Yeah, uh, and then my number one is the guy who I thought should have ran up the t- out the uh, tunnel, and that is Terrell Suggs just for the fun of that interception or that fumble recovery and uh, run down again, bring an excitement into the bank. So I'm giving it to Suggs. That would have been fun. That would have been really special. I think, I do think we'll remember this. I just wish that there was something that would make it more dramatic or more memorable. It's just the case that Suggs is still an everyday player and Unitas had to come off the bench as the third string quarterback to go in the game and throw the last touchdown pass made it different. But I, I, I love the moment. I, I, the moment was important to me. I knew at, the, at that time that we'd probably seen the last touchdown from Suggs, and I think I think most people think that as well. Yeah, we we joked earlier today on three three six that Suggs should have ran out like Judon and just not came back, just retired at that moment, <laughs> and let us all remember him on that play. That that would have been something special. So, all right, let's get to the mailbag again. Get in your questions hashtag Film Study Mailbag on Twitter and. Uh, First one up is from uh, some guy called B More B. Did you notice in the first quarter the confusion on the defense? I've never seen so many hand gestures between players and basically two-handed what question mark sign. <laughs> I don't I don't know what the question mark sign means, but I'll take I'll take him as words. The Ravens got the hat trick in the first half of wasted timeouts, and this is going to be a problem not just for the defense but also for Lamar Jackson. Uh, one of the field timeouts was running up field and trying to get off after the 74-yard completion. Right, that was on the offensive side. That's on the offensive side. So they, they, I'm, I'm going to address both of these sides since I think okay. they're both important. Lamar needs to be able to have an automatic play call, and they made a point during the during the um, uh, game that they had created a lot of one-word play calls for him where everybody's responsibility was set because he'd been having a lot of trouble memorizing the plays. If that's the case, you know, give me Geronimo. Give me Geronimo 7 if there's a number required with it. Go ahead and run that. And don't huddle up on the other end. You go ahead and, and run to your spot in the line of scrimmage or in the, in the you know, a very loose sugar huddle, and you get to the line of scrimmage immediately because that time is limited, and being in a first and goal situation there with not five additional year, yards and not a lost timeout is a big deal. So I, I was I was pissed off that that one got wasted. The other one got one got wasted because they, they Cyrus Jones had to run off the field and was the 12th man, and they, they got him off the field in time, but they'd still already called the timeout, so they, they wasted one there. And somebody asked me how they wasted the first timeout. I don't even remember. That's how bad that was. I mean, maybe the, the other team lined up a way they didn't expect. Right. But to lose three was, timeouts of the first half, just ridiculous. <laughs> it was a defensive call, yeah. But the, um, since you brought up play calling, I'm going to ask a stupid question. 
do most quarterbacks wear mouth guards? How is how is he Lamar Jackson calling out plays when he sticks that mouth guard in his mouth? Uh, he seems to seems to wear it in a way that he basically puts it in his mouth as the play's beginning. I I don't know whether that's a you know Isn't something that a tell? Can... like the snap's about to happen. Um, I I don't know exactly when it goes in. It's definitely in his in his mouth area, so he can clump right. clump down on it when the run's going on. I think because he's going to take more hits than other quarterbacks, he probably wanted to be wearing a mouth guard. Was my was my guess, but you know that it's a great question for him sometime at the podium to kind of explain that to us. But uh, but I you know I've never heard it done yet. Right. No, I I understand why he's wearing it. I just I was watching it on Sunday and I'm like uh, trying to figure out the time in and is, is that some type of tell that a team's going to pick up on yeah it's interesting all right uh Jalen gets in with is Mosley starting to look like a player the Ravens should re-sign no matter what the cost based on the past two games well I'm seeing a healthier Mosley these last two games he's looked better in coverage I think some of that is he's finally getting over that injury from week two uh hard to really say what the Ravens ought to pay in this case, it's not clear to me. Um, I, I'll say this. I think that there's a possibility that the inside linebacker position is being de-emphasized in the NFL by the way the quarterbacks and the uh, rules for hitting receivers now exist. Is that you, you're going to see more passing, not less, and spending money at inside linebacker instead of having platoon players effectively inside linebacker maybe a way to tie up salary cap in a spot you're not really crazy about. So, you know, it's a sad case for Mosley, who's played very well, obviously, in his first five years, to have the market for inside linebackers potentially depressed by changes in the game. But I think it's possible that's where we are. And so the Ravens, I think they're going to have a number that they don't want to go above. I don't think he's a, he's a sign at any cost guy. I think he's a sign at some very reasonably mildly excessive cost but not at any cost all right uh should the front office neglect the tackle position and focus on solidifying the interior of the offensive line given that we have a mobile quarterback and edge rushers are forced to play contain anyway and most sets involve a rollout uh, it's a great point so if lamar jackson is your quarterback and this is from minion hunter or who's this from uh this is this is from clockwork omni Okay, Don't know great, his real name. A, a great question. So, you know, the point is that you're you're when you're playing read option football, that you automatically give yourself a little bit of extra time in the pocket because of your ability to freeze the outside defender and force them to respect the potential of an outside run. Of course, that time is also used by the quarterback, but it allows the route to develop. So now receivers are more open, uh, you know, a third of a second later maybe than they would be otherwise. So anyway, I, I, I agree with the concept in generally that you, in, in general that you could you could go thin at tackle. I think what's been amazing about this Ravens season is that they really found a tackle who could help them a little bit in a Luminor. Uh, I'm not going to say that's the answer for all time, but I'm happy with what he's shown us as a player this year. Obviously, we're very happy with what Stanley and Brown is, and that's where you start in terms of not looking for a tackle. And then they have Greg Sanat, who lost the entire year. So it could be they could go into 2019 with those four guys as potential tackles, and I would not be, I would not be completely worried about it as I was at midseason when I really thought tackle is one of the positions where the Ravens really need to make sure they're covered, uh, because the injuries to, to to Stanley had been so significant and so recurring that I didn't feel like they, they were going to be able to get by without that. All right. They'll also have Hurst back, and you know Hurst played some decent right tackle this year. 
we'd probably rather have him at guard, but that gives you an extra option on the outside. Gotcha. Uh, Brad wants to really get into this quarterback controversy. He's gotten uh, like four questions. I'm going to sum it all up with his last question. What gives Harbaugh a better chance of sticking around in Baltimore next year? Showing the ability to get the most out of Lamar for the rest of the season or getting into the playoffs with Joe Flacco? I think I think the exact thing Harbaugh should do is to not worry at all about what quarterback is upset or what quarterback he's using or that the quarterback, the specific quarterback he uses is the key decision. I think Harbaugh should approach this problem in a in a neutralist manner. It's saying basically by situation, how can these two quarterbacks that I've got who are very different help me more? And I'll give you a, a couple situations, or one situation anyway, for each that I think will help. I think Joe Flacco is your better quarterback when you're trailing in a game and you need to catch up. I think he's absolutely the better chance to get that done than Lamar Jackson. I think Joe Flacco is probably the better two-minute quarterback going down the field. I would rather have him in that situation because I think he just has more experience running that kind of an offense. And, you know, Lamar, with a lot of his value coming with the run, frankly, a lot of that gets minimized in the last two minutes of, a, of, of the half. I think Lamar is better when you want the best chance to grind out first downs to win the game on the ground. He's by far a better chance than Flacco. A Flacco, you have to throw. You have to take some chances with the ball in the air. You have to take some chances with incomplete passes, which the defense generally wants you to do. So I think that, that uh, you know if you have Jackson and you can get two medium-length runs and set up third and short, that's a great thing to do when you're trying to grind out a game because you use three downs to get a first down. It's not just you, you throw for an 11-yard pass on first down, and then you have a fresh set of downs. That's actually not as good as getting a three-down running first down is. So I, I, I prefer Lamar and the style he brings for grinding out a game against an opponent when you when you have the lead, and I prefer Joe for catching up. All right. Um, all right, well, let's close up the mailbag with this. We're going to get into this deep on the offensive show, but let's get your first impressions now Monday. Who do you think starts – in Atlanta who's the starting quarterback okay so I think if I break this down by by probabilities I think I, I have to go with Lamar Jackson is the better chance and the reason is I think there's a, there's a chance Joe is still hurt and we won't know that as the week goes on because we won't hear anything out of the castle giving that away right you know maybe that's 40% chance that that he's still hurt and unavailable anyway and then after that the remaining 60% I have to divide in terms of how Harbaugh really views the thing. First of all, he may view that, that that Joe is really the better choice at quarterback, but he may still think Lamar is the better chance to start at quarterback, and then you wait until you're behind a score or two to put Joe in. He might feel that. He might feel like he wants to bring in Joe at the end of the first half and start Joe's time then if the game is close uh, or, or even if it's not close at that point to bring him at the end of the half to engineer a drive. So, uh, yeah, I think there's lots of ways he could run it, but I think you start off with the with the heavy weighting of the probability from injury that it that it will be Lamar, and then you add in the other probabilities that that I think he, Harbaugh might think Lamar is the better guy to start the game anyway. And I think I'd be up at seventy percent that Lamar starts this game, maybe higher. Oh wow, that's uh that is higher than I expected. Um, I made my prediction earlier that I think that it'll be we'll see both guys on the field. I thought we would see more Joe. But I also think that you're going to have to protect that hip. And I felt like if the Ravens got the lead and had a stable lead, you give it to Lamar and let him run the clock out, especially yeah. with a team like the Falcons and especially the Chiefs, where the biggest defense would be keeping the ball away from them. 
Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. So the best defense is good offense. Get get some first downs and and get the can be really hard to get the lead at any point against the Chiefs. But I right. agree with the Falcons. That's a, that's a that's a challenged defensive team uh, that that you definitely uh, can do some things to if you can if you can run the ball effectively and consistently. All right, all right. Uh, what is up on Russell Street Report this week? So got got the the normal stuff planned. Uh, offensive line article coming. We did the offensive line scoring uh, earlier tonight. Some really interesting things came up. Uh, good running game. Obviously, scores are pretty good generally. And I'll I'll get that article out on Wednesday. We'll do the pod on Wednesday for that. Uh, sometime tomorrow, probably I'll have something on tiebreakers ready to go. That may I, I may change the schedule a little bit and have that be the second article of the week or the third article of the week. I should say. We won't have a podcast on that, but it's got a little. It's got more simple in the sense that I think the the, the Bengals are done, and the, so the Ravens right. are likely to be the divisional contender for the wild card with the best record. It's certainly if they if they're not, they're they're not a wild card contender at all. I'll put it that way. Right. Uh, so, so in any case, it's it's really now down to how do the Ravens match up against the other teams. It looks like to me the Colts have emerged as the big potential thorn in the Ravens' side, and they have no real control over the Colts destiny the rest of the way. Uh do you think how do you think the Steelers have been playing lately? Do you think we have we're a game and a half back that tie hurts? Uh think we have a shot of catching up for the division? I mean, they have some tough games, so do the Ravens in terms of, of having to play the Chiefs still with the where the Raiders are done. I sorry, where the Steelers are done with them and the and the Chargers. I guess the Steelers have the Chargers and I'm trying to remember now. They have still have the Saints to go. They've got and- the They've got the Chargers, the Saints, and uh, I'm blanking. They've got one more good team. Is it? Is it? They have to. They they just lost to Denver, so they're done with that game. Oh right, that's the one I was thinking. So it's just maybe it's just the Chargers and the Saints that they got left. Yeah, like the Patriots. They have the Patriots. That's the third they also team. have the Raiders and the Bengals. Who right. now I think we can safely say are two of the worst teams in the AFC. Right. So that's so, that's a guaranteed two wins for them. So I would think I would think it is, and and that would right there that right. takes them to nine six and one if yep. even if they lose the other three. So the Ravens having to go ten and six. Well, ten and six is what they're going to need to get into the wild card. So I think if they if they can finish ten and six, they'll get the wild card. If they can't, I think they're going to have a lot of trouble because I don't think the Colts are likely to not get to ten and six. All I right. think there's just too good a chance that they'll they'll make it. And ten and six means you got to beat the Chiefs or the Rams. Chiefs, Chiefs of the Chargers, yep. Oh, Chargers, yes. I keep getting them wrong. I don't like two teams in the same city. All it does is yeah. confuse me. Neither does LA. They want the Chargers to leave. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, all right, Ken. Uh, for me, it's uh, going over to Birdland Sports and check out the latest episode of Section 336. That also posted today. Lots of Lamar talk, lots of Joe talk, and a good amount of Orioles talk as well over there. At Josh Soroka. At Josh Soroka on Twitter, and uh, you can get in your uh, you can get in your mailbag questions using the hashtag Film Study Mailbag, and we'll get to the offensive show uh, next. Okay, were there any other new new pod drops this week so far? I'm sure they're coming if they if they uh, haven't been. The I'm guys. sure that Birdland BS is coming this week, and I'm sure Dade is coming this week as well. All right, terrific. All right, Ken. Have a good evening. We'll talk to you.
Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.